I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Uncertain is back after an unplanned break of about a month. I made a somewhat sudden cross-country move from Los Angeles to St. Louis. I say somewhat sudden because I was planning to move eventually, it just happened a little sooner than I was expecting. I'm happy to be back and recording in my closet studio that was the first thing I set up after my bed. This episode's guests are Reagan Williams and Rebecca Morgan, and we are going to discuss the unique challenges that female pastors and women in vocations of ministry face. Though it's a tough subject, I think you'll find this episode encouraging and hope-filled. But first, I wanted to tell you about something that's been happening on the Tears of Eden side of things. Tears of Eden is a nonprofit providing a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. For the past couple months, we've been piloting our first online group of survivors. We meet once a month on Zoom to discuss trauma and the unique aspects of spiritual abuse. And then we've been continuing the conversation in a private Facebook group. We're piloting this group in hopes that we'll be able to make this accessible to anyone who needs it and wants it. In other news, we're also going to have our first virtual gala in September. We're in the process of putting this together now, and I'll give you more details as the date draws closer. This will be a focused time for sharing the work of Tears of Eden and what this organization is about and what we hope for in terms of caring for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you found the resources of Tears of Eden or the podcast helpful, I'd like to invite you to consider submitting a short video sharing your story. You can find more info about that in the link in the show notes, or you can email us at tearsofeden.org at gmail.com. Here's my interview with Rebecca and Reagan. How did you meet and how did you get to know each other? We met at a supper club that some mutual friends of ours organized for the two of us. And I remember at first when I met Rebecca, I was struck by her beauty and her passion, like personality wise. And then I don't remember how far along we were into supper club, but I remember being seated across from her at one point. It may have been the time we went to the cheese room in Santa Monica And you and I were laughing so hard Mm -hmm. that I thought, oh my God, I found my people. Mm -hmm. We just make each other laugh and we were just being dumb and silly. And that's what sealed the deal for me. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I I remember that so vividly. Yes. Supper club. There's this, Mike and I were sat across from you and Matt and we're like, hi, like we didn't know each other that well. And a couple, you know, glasses of wine in, and we were just cracking up. I think people were annoyed with us. We were I think really they were too. You remember how many times we'd be like, oh my gosh, like we have to get together. Like, we can't. <laughs> like people are hating us right now because we're like best friends. So yeah, it was yeah, distracting was- for others. I feel bad, but also not. I also don't yeah. feel bad. I think Reagan, you're one of my favorite people because of that kind of description like that duality of hilarious so funny we're just oh my gosh I crack up and then we can like get real serious deep cry together just that yes those are my favorite that's like the definition of a soulmate you can like yeah get 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 you a girl that can do both yeah you have to have both absolutely yeah Yeah. that's really important if you guys don't mind I want to do more of like a conversational style I do have some questions because I'm working through this too and it kind of feels like you guys are have done a lot of work and a lot of research on this particular subject related to women in the church so I I, yeah there's like so many places that we can go with this to get started do you guys both mind just introducing yourselves who you are what you do and what's your just like maybe like brief 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 history with the church like being a female in the church so my name is reagan williams and i am a ceo of a nonprofit in los angeles called seen and heard and what we do is we work with youth that are exiting out of the foster care system so we work with transitional age foster youth and primarily preparing them for adulthood through social emotional skills that we teach through drama. 
So it's kind of like a hybrid of creative arts education plus life skills and adulting classes for a population that has been somewhat disregarded, especially for youth that are older and in care. They're sort of viewed as like, well, get your shit together and good luck to you. And so we feel like this is an overlooked group of people that really deserve attention and time. And so that's what I do for work. I am a wife and a mom, and I've been in the church since I can remember in a variety of different spaces, but I'd say primarily evangelical spaces and primarily conservative evangelical spaces. And it wasn't until maybe three years ago that I transitioned out from conservative evangelical spaces into more progressive faith spaces and my church home now is a United Methodist congregation. And so it's more progressive and and so wildly different and so beautiful and um, amazing. And yet I'm very thankful for the foundation that was provided me in my early years, very thankful for it. So I don't toss it out with disdain. I actually really am thankful for the years I've spent in those spaces, but certainly have had a lot of healing to do, especially in regard to being a female in those spaces. There's a lot to that. So that's me. Hey, everybody. My name is Rebecca Brashay Morgan, and I am currently on staff at a Presbyterian church in LA. And I have been on staff there for 13 years. Didn't see that coming. Wouldn't have guessed that that would have been the trajectory of my life. But it's definitely a calling that I feel strongly about. And that's a story we'll unpack a little bit how that came about. I'm also a seminary student at Fuller Theological Seminary working towards a master's of divinity. I'm about doing the long road, the same (laughs) obedience in the same direction because it's been a long time, but I'm about three quarters of the way done, you know, and I'm I'm asked a lot lately, do I plan on ordination? And that's another thing we'll, we'll circle back on later, but that's a question I'm asking and praying about. I'm also married to a pastor and I have a three and a half year old son And, you know, my, the historical context for me growing up in the church, similarly to Reagan, conservative, evangelical, but it was Foursquare Church. So do you guys know the Foursquare Church Assembly of God, Foursquare Church, which actually has been a lot more affirming of women in leadership roles to an extent. And, but then we moved to South Orange County and I found myself, you know, at, I think I was around 10 years old at a mega church, which you guys could probably guess what mega church that was in South Orange County. Awesome. Great teaching, but Oh yeah, there's no women pastors, no women in leadership. And was told, I remember then being taught really sweetly, really kindly that I needed to look for like, you know, a male leader, you know, as my spouse, like who could be the spiritual leader of the household and kind of like that language started forming, you know, around junior high, high school, like, so, and then from there, when I moved to LA, I found myself at a Presbyterian church and we're PCUSA. And I found myself really comfortable in this denomination. I love what they've done for women and other marginalized communities. So yeah, so that's me now. Great. Thank you guys so much for being willing to jump into this conversation. I, I'm very excited, but I'm also, I'm, I've been, I don't know why I've done this. I've been in like four or five different books on like misogyny in the church, women in the church. And so my, my anger level's really high right now. So <laughs> you guys can help bring me back down or feed it, whatever you want to do. But as I think about my experience in the church, and I believe that most of my my times when I was hitting a barrier and I was hitting this block and felt like my femaleness was a det- detriment in a in a more conservative church world always had to do with the fact that I wanted to teach and I wanted to pastor. And that was when I would hit that roadblock. And if I were a different type of woman who didn't feel called to that and didn't want to do that, then I wouldn't have had that problem. And I, I have many friends in those spaces who don't have issues. Like there's, there's not 
a challenge for them. Like they don't, it doesn't bother them that there are only male pastors or only male elders or the spiritual leader of the home. They don't want to be the spiritual leader of the home. They're fine with their husband being the spiritual leader of the home. And so it only there's only a rub or there's only been a rub because I wanted something else in those spaces. Yeah. So I would love to hear just y'all's stories of even if you have like a story or a few stories where you experienced that rub, or I know you definitely do, Reagan, but Rebecca, like just any. Yeah. I think some things that you've said, I just want to comment really quick on, on some of that is to me, I, I have to ask, are they really okay? Because to me, I still view it as oppression right? To not be fully who you are. Even if it is like, I'm happy being a mom, God bless you. But if you're still kind of new to the idea that there could be more for you, or you've never really been nudged to use your gifts, then, then you might, you might come across on the surface as being okay. But I feel like I don't buy it sometimes because I know some of these women too. And I'm like, I don't know. Are you sure? Because I mean, for centuries, I mean, forever, actually, it's always been the patriarchy, right? I mean, it only took me five minutes to talk about the patriarchy, but it's, (laughs) it's, I mean, right? So I feel like we have so much undoing and unlearning that has to happen. And that still is taking place. And I'm not trying to sound judgmental towards these women that say that they're okay. But I just think we don't know yet if you are, you know, because you're still kind of in this system that's not fully letting you be free in some ways. So, and then regard to the teaching, I mean, that resonates deeply with me. So even at, at my church, like I've been asked to preach, you know, over the last couple of years and it's kind of new and I'm not ordained yet, which so for them to even ask me is kind of a big deal, but I mean, I've definitely, even at a PCUSA church, I, I have seen some people maybe, you know, mostly men, be a little uncomfortable with it and, you know, refer to it as like a talk or speaking. And I'm like, no, it's, it's preaching, (laughs) you know? And like, what comes along with that is a little bit uncomfortable because there's, there's a connection there to authority. Maybe like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guiding you. I've got some wisdom here. I want to share. And I have felt that nudge sometimes to downplay that authority, you know, or to like laugh at myself or, you know, be more palatable for men in the audience. Like I'm silly. I'm just, I don't know. I mean, do we, I don't, you know, try to, and, <laughs> and that's the, the laughter of recognition, yeah. Reggie. but, but it's, I remember having a conversation with a professor at Fuller once and she was asking me about ordination and she was like, do you think, she said something like, do you think that the men here who are do, getting ordained, do you think they even question it? You know, like, it's just like, yeah, I'll get ordained. Like, yeah, of course. Like, I'll, but for women, like we second guess that, like, is that my call? Like, like there's still an uncertainty, you know, and a little bit of a reluctance, even though I wish I could say, Catherine, like I've arrived here and like, I'm going to talk on your podcast and we're going to be like, yep. It's like, I'm still unlearning that as a teacher and preacher, you know, like that is the role I'm being called into. And whew, that's, that still takes growth on my part. So. Yeah. And just to add to that, oh my goodness, the conversations that you and I have had, Rebecca, you know, side conversations about even having to examine what you wear so critically on a Sunday morning when you stand up to preach, like even that is an obstacle to be overcome or an issue to work through. It just, you know, I just wanted to add that, that there's so many different layers to even getting up on stage as a female pastor. But I also wanted to just circle back to the concept that you mentioned before about some women that may not feel called to preach or teach. And so they're like, well, I don't know. I don't really care. Or it doesn't bother me. I used to be one of those women. Mm -hmm. So if there's anybody listening that's starting out feeling a sense of shame or embarrassment, don't feel that way, please. Because it sometimes takes something to become real or personal to you in order to change your mind. I think that's really natural. But I think what's interesting about it is that I have never necessarily wanted to preach But the area of dissonance that I experienced in the church was in regard to social justice. And so leading any sort of initiative or idea is also seen as threatening in some ways. Or just, are you just saying because you as a female were spearheading 
yes. a movement or an yes. organization or whatever. Okay. Yeah. How did so, that play out? What do you mean by that? I mean that for the first year of the work that I did in this area of social justice within the church was unpaid. And it took me a long time to actually get the courage to ask for a part-time job from my church. And I think that's a whole other podcast about women maybe having, you know, doing so much labor, well, whether it's in children's ministry or other areas that they should be compensated for, or maybe even considered for work to be paid for what they're doing or what they're contributing. And then if you contrast that with maybe a drummer as part of the worship team that gets paid for showing up on Sunday, but if you're, you know, volunteering 15 hours a week or more, on a social justice initiative, the fact that I had to actually have the courage to say, it's been a year, this is going real well here, I think I should be paid. I mean, I think Rebecca, you and I talked about this mm-hmm. very thing where you're like, girl, ask for the job. Yeah, you gotta speak up, you gotta say something, right? That's that's half of it, right? If you've been told, don't say anything, and this is like that broader conversation about using our voices, whether it's teaching or preaching or asking for the position or the raise, like we're not, accustomed to it yet. Like we're getting there, we're working that muscle, but I feel like this is definitely one of the areas of passion for me. It's to bring out that voice uh, of women. What are your gifts? Let's use them. You got something to say. I want to hear it, say it, you know, cause I think we've just been silenced for so long and we're just kind of having this, you know, new dawn. Should I say feminism? I mean, I don't know if I even should. It's like, do it. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> You know, it's like, I mean, that's what it is. And that's what I, I feel like there about. needs to be like an evangelical feminism word. I know. Yeah. Evenfilism. I don't know. <gasps> Evenfem. <laughs> oh my gosh. Should we just create a word? Evenfem. I know. I like it. But I think what you're touching on, Reagan, kind of just, I think it can, it can poke, can stoke that irritation for a lot of men in particular it's uncomfortable to be led by a woman right so that's what we're saying we're talking about like the text first timothy what is it 2 11 through 15 you know i do not permit a woman to preach or to have authority over a man she's to remain silent and i think a lot of times people will point back to those texts as like see it says in the scriptures and, and so i think this kind of points to we haven't we haven't discipled well on how to read scripture on how do you think about the ancient Near East and customs and hierarchies and the Greco-Roman world in Ephesus at the time and and like what were normal roles and households back then and First Timothy wasn't written by Paul likely and somebody kind of got it wrong and and I think that scares us it scares us to think like the Bible is we have to wrestle with it and we can't just copy and paste to the 21st century and I think some people will say oh that's a slippery slope Oh, I don't know. Like, well, I have a high view of scripture. If someone says to me, I have a high view of scripture, I'm like, Ooh, like, mm, let's, let's think about that for a minute. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. Like, dissect this, like what's happening in this social historical context of these writings. And then let's, let's test them against the person of Jesus, who we know Jesus to be, what he said to people, what he was about. And he would never have been about the subordination of women, he never would have been about a hierarchy. Like that does not add up to the person of Christ. And I keep coming back to that over and over again in this conversation of authority and leadership. And it's like, where's where are your gifts? Use them. It should have nothing to do with gender. Whew. Yeah. Can yeah. I ask you for listeners, when someone says, I have a high view of scripture, and then that <laughs> kind of makes you cringe, what what is meant by that when someone I, says that? So my interpretation that often is like a literal view of scripture, like it says it, it says it right here. You know what? The Bible says a lot of stuff. So if you want to say the Bible says it, we got to unpack a ton of stuff. Who was saying it? When were they saying it? Why were they saying it? What was the, what was the climate like politically in Rome? Like what was happening? Oh, was there false teachers going on? Oh, okay. So there was a temple and like women, it's like, we, we have to ask those questions. You can, and that's the thing is I feel like we're not teaching people, fellow believers, how to, how to wrestle and read and exegete 
exegete those scriptures and be in a place of discomfort if you don't understand it like it's okay to sit in that Mm -hmm. if you don't understand it because that that I mean that's also another whole nother podcast of like this we need to be right and we have to have the right answer and we have to have that right answer with a scripture verse that says right oh Um, yeah and that Timothy verse has been a a struggle for me because it is there. But what the way that I might, I get over the mental hurdle for myself is just thinking of how many times the Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible. So many times it is mentioned in the Bible and we never talk about the Sabbath. So why is this something that I have heard hundreds of sermons, been to conferences, read books on why are these verses the ones, but then there's so much about the Sabbath. Why? Like that, like, is, that think, is what I get to. <laughs> why do you think? Like what's just comes to the top of your head? Like I, right now, the reason I believe is because it is a point of contention. That's why. And it's, it's a, it's the Sabbath isn't a point of contention for, for most denominations isn't a point of contention and and it's a threat i think to to this power structure that i think that there's people who are not well-meaning and are actually evil who have instigated that power structure and then good well-meaning people have gotten sucked into it because it benefits them and they're benefit by the system and so this threatens the system which is why we focus on it so much. That would be my opinion. What do you guys think? Yeah, and I think just to piggyback off what you just said is those are identifiers that signify whether you're in or you're out. So the Sabbath, as you know, are, if you were to take that example, there's a lot of like, well, we can agree to disagree. Your Sabbath is on Saturday or your Sabbath is on Sunday or you can't take a Sabbath because you work on Sunday. No problem. How about you have a half day Sabbath on Monday? I mean, oh my gosh, the sort of allowances and liberties given to that subject have been numerous. And if you contrast that with women teaching, if you contrast that with LGBTQ issues or whatever, those are markers or identifiers of like, do you have a high view of scripture then? Or are you on the slippery slope then? She's doing air quotes. (laughs) Air quote. If you can't see this. Yeah. So I think it's just a way to identify us versus them. So we're using these issues to create the box and you're either inside or you're outside. At least that's been, that's my thought. Why those boxes though? Like Because they're meant, yeah, I mean, they're meant to subjugate and control and to keep order. And then I think it's also promotes the structure that exists, which I think people are very hesitant to let go of because we all have a fear of, unknowing. We all have a fear of the gray spaces. We all have a fear of, you know, the sort of non-dualistic thinking is a real challenge for people that have grown up in conservative evangelical environments. So that's my thoughts. I feel like just very simply put, it's, I think one of the areas of just so much disappointment and frustration is that for whatever reason, we really have failed as a as a culture and definitely as a church to, to accept that the Bible was written in a patriarchal time in a patriarchal culture, not just secularly in the ancient Near East and in the Greco-Roman world. I mean, it was even just secularly thought that women were inferior mentally, physically, I mean, all kinds of things like that was already the norm, but it was also reinforced in Judaism this is coming out of still had those beliefs like women no did not teach back then. So, and there's also, you know, I think it was maybe love Seacrest at Fuller, an amazing professor talking about how one of the reasons maybe for these texts for women to be quiet, not to teach was in to do so would have hurt the gospel. Like that would have been too extreme for 2000 years ago. You know, that would have been like, okay, you guys are off the deep end and we're going to actually eliminate you because even in the Roman, in Roman society, and this is why I feel again, going back to history, doing the hard work, which we don't want to do, right. It's too much, but like going back, doing some work in, in the Roman world, those roles are really 
pivotal, they were really crucial for the stability of the household. And if those kind of fell apart, if like you had women kind of operating like a little more power and men like, oh, I don't have to take on this pressure anymore. I mean, people thought society would crumble. And that's reflected still in the decisions that churches were making. And it was like, hey, calm down, because you've got the Galatians 3, is it 314 text of like, there's no longer slave nor free. There's no other Greek or Jew. There's no other male or female. What? So then we have these texts. And you're like, wait a minute. And that's Paul. And that's when I like him. You know, I'm like, all right, Paul. But you do have these like subversive, revolutionary, like, sneaking in texts like wait a minute so then how do you compare those and well we got to look at this first timothy was an occasional letter there was stuff happening specifically in that time that was being addressed so some people think maybe the women that this author is referring to were spreading some false teachings because first timothy starts off with like a, a warning against heresy and false teachers and it's like, maybe some of these rich women were like, oh, did you hear? Like, so they're like, be quiet. You're spreading some false rumors. So there's just, there's lots of things for us to consider in these texts. And so again, I'm, I keep going back to this, but we need to do our homework. We need to study because you can't just say it's there. It says it. The Bible says a lot of things. So can you, will you wrestle with it? Will you do the work? I feel like that's why I'm such a big fan of go back to the gospels, go back to Jesus. Yes. What did he say? Who did he say it to? Yes. And that, that's the foundation for everything we believe. And if you test some of these texts against the person, you know, of, of Jesus, of what he, what he did, who he was, who he's all about, it doesn't, you're like, mm, yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. not like, let me copy and paste that to mm-hmm. today. Is it a press? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if it is. Yeah. And just the pain, Jesus. the, the pain that is caused and letting that be a sign something isn't right. And I know that that was a way around and and these texts and like this, the women thing was, was a means of my spiritual abuse as I was growing up. And that was, that was the thing that just kind of, there was something in my, my mind, my intuition, my gut that just told me, this is not the character of God. This is not what he would do. This is not how he would this is not what he wants, even though I had these black and white texts that people were, were, were using to, yeah, to basically keep me in bondage and keep me silent. And so, yeah, the pain and like that pain, is that really, I mean, but people will say that like, you're supposed to suffer for the gospel. You're supposed to suffer, you know, like you're, you're supposed right. to, when it benefits them. What were you going to say, Regan? No, I was just going to say a great example of this, which isn't scriptural, but it's cultural Christianity is the Billy Graham rule. And if you yes. look at, you know, the, the sort of that principle of, for example, never being alone with a woman, never being in a car with a woman, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus didn't do that. He was speaking to the woman at the well in by himself. It was clearly a risky move for him to take culturally to have a theological deep conversation with a woman who was heading to the well midday because she was not accepted by her, her culture, her people, right? So she was looked down upon and Jesus goes right up to meet her. So either it's, you know, we can look at scripture and say, how does this particular verse or passage, how does this hold up to the behavior and life of Jesus? Like, how can we bring these two things together to further understand scripture and the heart of God, but we also need to be doing this with cultural practices that, that have been issues that really cause a lot of pain for Mm -hmm. women in the church. You were just saying, you know, Catherine paying attention to the pain is so important. Right. And that's that litmus, litmus test. Like, is this, is this the heart of God? Right. Wait, what's the fruit of this? you know, people are oppressed, there's pain, there's strife, they're marginalized, their voices are silenced. To me, that, that does not, it's not even, the Bible does not reflect that kind of God. That's, that's not the God we serve. I don't care how you think you want to interpret certain texts. That's not Jesus. Jesus says you on the outside, you outsider, you on the margins, you quieted and silenced and abused and oppressed you're coming to the head of the table. Like we need you. And it's, 
and that's what I'm saying. I think that for some of us, if we're newer to this conversation and we're getting these stirrings, like this doesn't feel right. That's the spirit in you because the spirit where the spirit is, there's freedom. There's that bondage that you mentioned, Catherine, like it is, it's bondage, you know? And like, it's like the caged bird. It's like, I'm fine. Like the people are like, I'm fine. It's like, you know, yeah, there's a whole world for you. And we're just scratching the surface. You know, I heard somebody say once, how do we expect the gospel to, to thrive when like half the players are benched, you know, like how, think about, I mean, it's infuriating in some ways to think about how, how over so many years women have been silenced, right. And they're preaching and teaching gifts and they're leading and they're, and their influence in some ways because of these texts being Mm -hmm. used Mm -hmm. to, to harm. So absolutely. Yeah. And Reagan, you brought up the, the Billy Graham rule. And I would say that that's a, that was a way for sure that I, as a, as a seminarian and then right after seminary, like I wanted to be invested in, I wanted to exercise my pastoral calling and very, very clearly saw my male counterparts being invested in. And I wasn't. And I, yeah. and I, and I questioned it and I, and I said, I, I know why you're doing this. I know why, but, but do you realize who's suffering when you're doing that? Who's suffering? Yeah. I'm suffering. I'm not getting mentored. I'm not getting cared for. I'm not, yeah. you know, if you, if you, I didn't say this, but like, if your sexual urges are so strong that you cannot control them, then you need to take precautions. Yeah. Right. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You need to fix that. Not me. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to the pain, it's not only that you may not be poured into, you may not be given a seat at the table for major decisions or leadership, whatever that looks like. So it's not just professionally, it is spiritually hurtful and deflating to feel like you are the cause of a man's stumbling. We feel dangerous instead of safe. We feel like we are the ones that carry this temptation, that there's something wrong with us, that there's something sinful about us by our very nature. And that is deeply wounding and problematic and and painful. Absolutely. Can I divert just a minute? Since both of you guys are married to men, how how do your husbands interact with this conversation and what has been that experience? Rebecca, you go first. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I knew, well, I don't even know where to start sometimes because I'm like, what do I even begin? I think one of the things I had a conversation with my husband, Mike, this is before we were married, we were dating and he was like, well, yeah, I'm a feminist. And I was like, come again. Like, and this was, you know, 15 years ago. And and I think it's become a little more okay for men to, to say that, but this was like early on. And he came from a loving household, but definitely like represented kind of the, the stereotypical gender roles, you know, dad worked all day. Mom was working with the kids full time. And, but he, he emerged, he went to seminary. He, he was just like, he said something in his spirit just didn't feel right. That women, you know, couldn't preach or teach. Like, you know, I think it's, I feel like is the spirit that led him this way. But he, when he told me he was a feminist, I was like, do you know what that means? It's like, yeah, like equality for men and women. I'm like, yeah, that's all it means. That's awesome. Yeah. Doesn't mean we're trying to dominate anybody. I don't want to be a dude. Like it's equality with the sexes. Sweet. Let's get married. <laughs> He's super supportive. He is definitely, I mean, I don't know what else to say about it other than he's awesome. He's, he's supportive. He loves it. He sees it. Um, and he's still teachable too. Cause right. He's still not, hasn't fully arrived with it, but I'm like, Oh, did you notice that word? Or did you notice this kind of comment? And he'll be like, Oh, I didn't let me look for that next time. You know, because like, we'll be in meetings together and I'll mention to him. Like, Oh, did you, did you notice that that guy spoke over? you know, so-and-so and I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. I did notice that. So anyway, so I feel like he's, he's great. He's supportive, but he's still, still learning too. Yeah. I think, I think for, for me and my husband, Matthew, I think that we were married, you know, 19 years ago. And I don't think either one of us were feminists, to be honest. 
I think this has been a journey for us. And I think, you know, that I would probably put myself in that category of feminist maybe 10 years ago. And I think because my husband and I had fairly traditional roles, it wasn't really on his radar. You know, it wasn't something that was, that he was super passionate about. I would say that it wasn't until the two of us faced unhealthy situations in our church homes and, and spiritual abuse that, that, it beca- that it became important to him. And that I think is the unique blessing of enduring hardship is it actually opens our eyes to the suffering of others. And what a gift that is. And I don't wish that on anyone. And I'm not saying that you can't have your eyes opened to the sufferings of others without personal trauma or abuse. I'm not saying that either. But I am grateful for the journey that the two of us have been on because it has brought us to new, broad, pleasant pastures, which include feminism. And so he is very much of the camp now of women in positions of leadership and teaching and will happily sit, quote unquote, sit under a woman's teaching, which so we have a female pastor at the church we attend, and he's so thankful and grateful and loves it. So that's where it's, I think for us, it's been a journey. And has it been so it's been recent then? I mean, I would probably say that I was a closeted feminist, or maybe an unknowing feminist that I knew it inside. But I did not feel the courage to come out as a feminist within my conservative church community, really, because I stayed in my lane for so many years. And it was a good lane. And I was productive in that lane. I mean, I was in children's ministry and children's worship and then social justice areas and blah, blah, blah. But I recently was asked to be on a committee in at my new church. And when I was asked, I it was an acronym like SBRCD or something, you know, and I didn't know what it was. Somebody just said, Hey, you've been nominated for this. And I thought, Oh, oh, okay. And my first inclination was like, this is a children's ministry or a meals ministry or a prayer ministry. I swear, I swear that was my first instinct. And then somebody said, no, this is a really important committee that determines hiring and firing helps with PR and just helps encourage staff. It is basically a, a group of lay leaders who are charged with accountability and encouragement and everything with staff. And I thought, oh my gosh, what? Wow. You know, I was so delighted to get to be in that space now. And I was sad that women my my old or my former church home were not really in those spaces. Mm, That makes me think of that, that statistic that's like with more women on your leadership or on like higher levels of, you know, executive teams, like you have less immoral behavior. It's like 30% less or something for this. Like like you got to have women on your leadership making those decisions because- Absolutely. And then the people getting away with sexual abuse and churches. And if there were more more women around spotting it, calling it out. Yeah. Comfortable for someone who's been wounded to like go to, like someone in authority that they can go to and say, this happened to me. That's not a man, but that, yeah, that's huge. I remember being in seminary and like going to it and a few people, not many, a few people made the comment that I was like going to find a husband and I was like, I'm not marrying a pastor. And at the time I like didn't really know why, but now I, because like pastors to me were, I, I name it this way, a lot of times misogynists. And, and I, I was like, I want to be the pastor. I'm not marrying a pastor. I even said that to people. I was like, I'm the pastor. He can marry me. <laughs> I even said that. But in, in my mind, pastors were misogynist. I didn't call it that. I didn't name it that. I didn't, you know, and if you were a pastor's wife, you had to take the support role. And I felt so like arrogant for that, you know, that I wanted to be the pastor. And it was like, that was like the p- posture that I received from people that it was just like, it was like arrogant that I wanted that seat or arrogant that I wanted to teach. And when I did start asking to teach because I was I was getting career training outside of the church and they were just like, if you want opportunities, you just got to ask for them. So, okay, I'm going to ask for them. Was not well received. It was not well received in any church that I worked for when I was like specifically asking for it. There were a few folks who 
who kind of, you know, went around back channels and arranged opportunities <laughs> for me to be able to, to practice because I wanted to practice. I'm like, I'm not good right now because I'm not doing it. Like I need to learn how to do it. So don't use the like, well, you're, you're not gifted or you don't, I've never done it. You know, I'm, I, I want to do it. I want to try it. Well, I think that hits on something huge because I feel like, right. Women are naturally gifted communicators, right? We're great at having conversations. We use like, I don't know, what is it? Like a thousand percent more words than men do every day. So like we've got this natural ability and it's funny because this is the thing that we've been limited in, like our speech, uh, our language, but, but public speaking is so different than a conversation with friends, right? Getting up to preach and teach that, that does require that practice. So then you have some people that kind of maybe might criticize some female preachers or teachers like, Oh, they're okay. And it's like, well, gosh, give this sister like 12 more times a year and she will knock it out of the park. You know, like we need that practice. So we need people to help bolster us in that way to say, Hey, I see this gift in you. Let's, let's like, let's use yeah. it up there. Like, come on, like, we need coaches. Like saying like, you got this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we, oh my goodness, they owe us because we have suffered through so many guys getting up there for the first, second, third time and stumbling and flailing. And we just sit there and, and they're 12 years and, old. Yeah. And we we you owe us guys. No, this you is the, that this is a comment on gender bias, right? So we're more gracious towards male preachers and teachers yes. they're yes. good they're fun look how smart they are like there is new right they're right. an academic they're not right. really good at preaching no, yeah totally. well there is that bias like we just kind of accept it more. we're less critical of them but when women get up there we women have to be rock stars more critical you have to bl- you have to blow my mind mm-hmm. for me to think like you're a good preacher or like mm-hmm. you okay and it's like like <laughs> we're so hard we're so hard on women Absolutely. yeah rebecca Rebecca, I want you to unpack that for just a second. What does that feel like as somebody who is now getting up and and being in front of the congregation and preaching? How does that feel to unfairly have to carry that burden and that expectation? You know, okay, so so the flesh, my flesh is like, I, I, I want to do well. Like, I want to pour my heart and soul into this. I... It, it feels like a lot, you know, it feels like risking and you, it's like, there's that tendency to want to be liked, to want people to think you preached a good sermon. And the more I've done it. And again, I'm going to keep saying this friends. I haven't arrived. I don't have all the answers. I have a lot to learn. Like, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn, but I have, I feel like God has been nudging me to say, be you. So that's a big one. Be you. You don't need to practice preaching like somebody else. You don't need to tone it down. Cause I, I, I can be a little bit like, I don't know, silly or just like, I'm kind of all over the map sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, do I need to be something else? Do I need to like model a different type of preacher to, to really. And it's like, God's like, no, like be you, Rebecca, the voice I gave you, how I made you to preach. Like, that's what I want to share with people. So I feel like I'm trying to come into that a little bit more. It's like a new, like a new code I'm, I'm putting on like, okay. And then the other thing is you've been faithful to the work, Rebecca, this is God telling me this. You've been faithful to the work. Now let it go. I'm going to take it from here. Like this is your invitation for people and like, just go. So I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with that freedom of letting go of whether or not people like me or not. Right. Cause like if we, I mean, people like Jesus, Everybody, I mean, he was God. Jesus had haters, you know, people, people who, I mean, they killed him. <laughs> so if I'm trying to live my life and model my life in some safe way to make everybody happy and you know like me, like that's not the life that I want to live. Ultimately, I want to be used. So, yeah, yeah. I'm loving that though. Cause getting to see you preach for the first time a couple years ago, or maybe, I don't know how long it was and, and seeing where you are now and loving who you are as my friend, and then getting to hear you and sit under quote unquote, sit under your teaching and leadership has been super encouraging to me personally. And I like who God made you. It feels like Anne Shirley is preaching a sermon when you, when you're up there. I mean, I really do. You're po- I want to hear Anne Shirley's speech preach yeah yeah she's the Anne Shirley of pastors this poetic passionate fiery preacher 
And I just, I love that about you. Mm. Thanks for normalizing it, Rebecca. I love you. Thanks. <laughs> Cause it's uncomfortable. It is. Yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable for a lot of folks. But it yeah. feels right. right? Yeah. Like it feels right. It's like, there's that sense of this is uncomfortable, but I know I don't want to stay safe. Mm-hmm. I know that God wants to use my voice. I want to be that conduit. Mm-hmm. And I want to say yes to that. Like mm-hmm. that's the best. Yes. I don't want to live a life just of safety and, and quiet. If God's saying, I want you to be courageous and use your voice. So what is one thing that you, you hope for the church or in this department wish that you would see more? I would love to see, like I've said, more women speak, like lean into their role to preach and teach and to have their voice heard, even if it's in a meeting or if it's leading a Bible study, a small group, if it's preaching, but just to listen to that nudge. Like if you're listening to this, cause I know there's going to be people listening to this that have that like little bit of a nudge in them. Like, Ooh, this might be me. I'm going to say, yeah, it probably is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I hope that the church gives women these opportunities. And likewise, I feel like we need to examine how we place these roles on men in the church. Like men don't always need to be the finance person. Like men don't always need to, you know, X, Y, and Z, like do that. It's like, let's, let's look at the whole thing. Where are your gifts? Let's put you in those places, no matter what your gender is. Yeah. Rebecca, to, to dovetail on that, I might even... I might even suggest asking or requiring men to spend some time in children's ministry or service meals, ministry, things like that. I mean, I know that my area is child welfare specifically, and it is hard to find men who care about this particular issue. Not all men, of course, there are plenty of men that do, but I would say in more conservative evangelical circles, there are not as many men that care for children. And I think that that is an essential step in leadership because if you are not humble enough to be vomited on, peed on, or feed someone goldfish, you should not be preaching and teaching. I just don't, I think that there's a progression of humility that is necessary before we elevate anyone into the role of preaching or leadership. My second thought would be, can we please be friends with men? I know that sounds really, really simple, but I think there's something. Okay. So I have (laughs) a male friend who, you know, from time to time on occasion, we exchange WhatsApp and we talk about maybe an article that I sent to him or he sent to me. He is dearly like wonderfully close with my husband and they have a very strong bond. My husband knows that occasionally he and I will have conversations on WhatsApp, either to help me to understand my husband better and to love him better, or to just have conversations about issues within the church. It has been a a powerful, fruitful, beautiful relationship. And I'm so, so thankful for it. And I think it can occur more often. I really, really do. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind, but my goodness, I think that there, we can do more in this area because by forming friendships, I think it's harder for men in more conservative spaces to continually shut the door to women in positions of leadership or inviting them to have a seat at the table with major, major decisions, because a good friendship will open the eyes of, of a man and a woman to saying, oh my goodness, this is a, a human being created in the image of God with tremendous potential and value. It's, I think it's the same work we do with, with racism. You know, you can't be someone's enemy when you're eye to eye with them or you're having deep and meaningful conversations. So I mm-hmm. think that there's something there about friendships, healthy friendships, spiritual friendships between men and women. And I think some, there's some potential there. That's a great question. I feel like that that's a whole other conversation too for a podcast. Like, can you have a platonic relationship? You know, what's the the fear there? Right. It's like, you know, we can talk about some of that stuff. I think that's a really good point. I had thought about Reagan and I like it harkens back to the the boys room kind of thing, right? Like places where women aren't invited in and it's like, we can't be friends. We can't do the dinner or like have the WhatsApp or just have fun with each other without there being some kind of like, Oh no, then Mm. we're missing out. It happens in other spaces, FYI. So if you've been, if you've been in a church or working in a church for years and years, there are so many other areas where men and women go to lunch together yeah. And, you know, hang out or work or have cocktails after lunch and their wives or spouses or whoever knows all about that. And, and it's like that, that, oh, that's my work wife, or that's my work husband. And, and both sides <laughs> understand that this is actually a safe person mm-hmm. 
Addie has one of my dear friends as a trusted support and ally for when he needs support with loving me well. And I'm so thankful for her. So thankful for her. Mm. So mm. that's awesome. We are kind of getting up on time a little bit. Did you guys have final thoughts? I think with courage and with hope, I think like Rebecca said at the top of our time, just saying that this is a really exciting time as well. Even though it feels scary for a lot of people, I do feel a sense of great hope and anticipation about what the church could become, not just for women, but for black and brown people and for LGBTQ folks too, is like, what, what is the church becoming? And there's so much beauty to behold in this evolution that I think is definitely spirit led. I think that's good. And I'm just gonna kind of call back a little bit to Catherine, what you opened with was there's a lot of anger, you know, this was painful. This is painful. It, it hurts. And I think that even just having this podcast kind of opening the conversation, talking about it is important, you know, to kind of move forward. Like we have to be like, this hasn't been right. It's not right. It's, it's, uh, sad, <laughs> wounding, and I need to grieve it. And, and also like you just said, Regan, courage, dear heart, you know, core, core is the uh, French word for heart. So it really is this kind of strength of the heart, the word courage. And I feel like when this is all said and done, it's about how, how did God make you? And can you be faithful to that? And even if it's scary, even if you might be criticized for it, even if, it's new territory. And even if people question your faith and its authenticity, because I've had, I mean, it's like people will throw all kinds of things. It's like, I've forgotten the Bible and that's a slippery slope, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's really great for those people to try and silence you, to try and avoid the hard conversation themselves. Right. If they can put you in that category of, oh, well, you just, yeah, you're not a Christian or you're not a whatever, fill in the blank. You have a weak faith or whatever it is. But I think regardless of those things, moving forward with courage, trusting that Jesus is leading you in this way to use the gifts that you've been created for, that is ultimately what I would want for anybody listening to this and for the church. I really appreciate everything that you guys shared. I learned a lot from you. Oh, this is, can you tell this is a passion of mine? (laughs) I love it. That's why I was like, you got it. That's why I was like, Catherine, you got to know Rebecca Morgan. I mean, just like, just, uh, this was a great conversation. It was so nice to get to discuss all these things in a, in a safe place. So thank you, Catherine. And thank you for your work with uncertain podcast. It's so good. And tears of Eden. Love it. Thank you for your support. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you for the work that you've done in this. Thank you for your suffering. And I hope you have great days. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, friend. I talked to you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Catherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time. You say